You never know what the custom is when you come into the church. You don't know if they have eggs they're going to start throwing at you or tomatoes, you know. But you guys look like you were all armed, ready to go. But uh, anyway, it's a privilege to be here tonight with you. Uh, my name's Clark. I'm with Calvary Chapel of Westmoreland County. I've been a Calvary pastor now for 21 years. Uh, we came out of Calvary Philly, Joe Foch's church. I'm sure many of you know Joe's teaching on your radio. And um, I got to know Rob ac uh, actually through radio. Uh, Bill Lukeman, who I'm sure you know of, uh, he's on your station too. Uh, he's a radio uh, brain guru, and we were given an opportunity to apply for a low-power FM radio station. Uh, I think it was like two or three years ago. Time goes so fast in March. But anyway, we had prayed about getting on the radio for years where Chuck Smith at a pastor's conference one time said, if you want to do something really good for your community, get on the radio. So I figured, we'll just go home and get on the radio. No big deal. We'll call someone up and say, we want to be on the radio. It doesn't work that way. You've got to go through fouling windows and uh, complicated things with engineers and a lot of bureaucracy. It's really an impossibility. You just can't do it apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. So miraculously, we were able to get on the radio, and uh, Bill came out and helped us set up the uh, antenna, and uh, Rob came out. He wanted to sort of see what we were up to, because you guys were in the middle, I guess, at that time of getting your own station up, and he told me about the uh, He's Alive radio, which is what you guys had actually purchased. Well, they had a translator about four miles from where our uh, low-power signal was going to go up. And he said, boy, you know, you probably could get that cheap. I'm, I'm thinking, man, we just got through one station, one radio. That's enough. That's a, a headache. I don't want to think about it anymore. But then I started praying about it. I think, well, why not? Let's just see what they might uh, take if we offer something uh, reasonable. And we were able to get it and miraculously at a very low price. So we moved that uh, antenna about, uh, we're only allowed to move 10 miles. That's the, the, the rule with FCC for low power. So we moved it. 10 miles farther west to get closer to Pittsburgh. Our, our church is about 27 miles uh, southeast of Pittsburgh. And so we moved it there and we got on a, a radio tire that's 350 feet high and we're able to reach the community that I grew up in as a hippie back in the 60s. So all my ex-friends are thinking, that guy really did become a pastor. Well, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, we can reach about seven, 800,000 people, and it's just staggering. I'm sure you guys get in your car and you put on Reveal and 97.1, and you can't believe you have a station, right? And what's funny is when you get the radio station, people, like, they want to visit the church. They think we're like some kind of mega church because we got these radio stations. And they come in and, like, this is a great building, a great church, but it's not a mega church. Ours isn't either. And so they sort of think, well, like, you know, how did you guys get a radio station when the mega church up the road doesn't have it? But that's the Lord, right? And God wants the Word of God on the airways 24-7. And that's what's wonderful about what you're doing with your radio station. You have the Word of God 24-7, verse by verse, line upon line, wonderful Bible teachers teaching the Word, and people's lives are being impacted and being touched. And uh, in time, God will bring more and more people into this church because of the radio station. It's fun as I go out in the community, and we, we have pictures of my mug here and there about our church and the station, and uh, not to lift me up or anything, but just to give an identification of who we are, right? Calvary Chapel, Westmoreland County. So I'll go in, in a uh, UPS and I'm standing in line and I'm sort of getting impatient because the line's real busy and I'll get up there and I'll say, 
I saw you in the newspaper. I listened to the radio station. And I'm just so glad I'm not saying, why don't you have more employees here? Whether I'm, you know. So, uh, you know, it's just fun. I went into a bike store one day and the guy's listening to our station. And I said, you like that station? He goes, yeah, I listen to it all the time. I said, that's me on the radio right now. And he's looking at me like, you're kidding me. It was 1230. So. But uh, it's just been a, a real joy to have that uh, opportunity. And so tonight, I'd like to look at the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, I'm married now 46 years uh, to Cindy. She's going to be a saint when she gets to heaven, putting up with me all these years. We have two daughters and six grandchildren. And my favorite part of preaching is seeing my grandchildren sitting in the front row when I preach. They have love letters that once in a while, I love you, pop up at the pulpit or whatever. And it's just such a joy to be able to, to have your family in the church with you. Uh, but lots of times, uh, life doesn't work out that way. There's conflicts in churches. There's conflicts in relationships. There's conflicts in marriages. There are conflicts with children, uh, people you work with, neighbors. Uh, I don't know what the chemistry is in this church, but uh, I'm sure you've had seasons where people get uptight about something for whatever reason, and they leave because of some stupid thing that has nothing to do with anything. It's just the sinful nature, the flesh, the fallen nature. And so as we're working through the book of Ephesians in our church on Sunday mornings, we just finished uh, the first three chapters, and the first three chapters are all about what Christ has done, our position, our inheritance, all the, th the wonderful things he's done for us by his grace. The next three chapters are practical in the sense of how do we apply what Christ has done for us in our daily lives. And so Paul's starting here in verse 1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Let's pray. Father, we're thankful tonight, Lord, for the exhortation and the admonition that you give us from the scriptures. And Lord, you wouldn't have put this in here if we didn't need to hear it and need to understand that there is a unity that's already been established in the Holy Trinity, you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit is the one who has uh, created this uh, unity inside the local church all over the world the body of believers. And so, Lord, tonight we want to learn from your Spirit, Holy Spirit, to teach us, God, as a body of Christ here in Cumberland, Maryland, a local church of people made up of all different ages and ethnic backgrounds and economic strata and life experience and uh, all kind of things, Lord. Uh, you, you bring us together as individuals and you make us one as a body. And so, Father God, just bless the word tonight as it goes forth. May you, Lord, uh, by your grace and by your power, make the unity in this church stronger and stronger and stronger as the days and the weeks and the months and the years go by so that when people visit this church, they'll say there's something special there. Those people love each other. They got each other's back. They're one together in Christ. And this is something that isn't seen in many churches today. And so, Lord, we desire this to be in the churches that we serve in, Father, and we minister in. So, God, just uh, teach us tonight uh, what it is you want us to know. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Paul is writing this letter in prison. This is one of the prison epistles. 
And I don't know about you, uh, but I've never been in prison and I don't want to ever go in prison. I don't think I would have the kind of attitude that Paul had when he was in prison. He was given the uh, unction by God to write the most amazing things about knowing Jesus Christ and how to live for him in the midst of a dark, dank, cold prison cell where he was being abused, where he was being tortured and tormented. And by the grace of God, he was able to pen these amazing letters and then get them out to the churches in the regions of Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae and the other churches that uh, needed to hear what it was that the Lord wanted the church to know. So he says he's a prisoner of the Lord. He's not a prisoner of any government. He's not a prisoner of any man. He knows God's sovereign hand has put him in this prison for a reason. And the reason is that he might speak to the church as he's speaking to us tonight. And he's asking the church there in Ephesus and exhorting them and basically commanding them, not suggesting, but begging them. He says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And all of us have been called here tonight in Jesus Christ by his grace. Every one of you, if you're born again and, and you're saved, you've had an encounter with the Lord at one time in your life, somehow, somewhere, someplace. It's very unique, very special, and very specific. This for you, personally. And you've come out of different backgrounds in life. Uh, depending on how old you are here tonight, uh, I got to meet Betty back there, an older saint. What a wonder that she is so vibrant for the Lord at her age. She puts a lot of younger people to, to shame. I'm wanting to sit down back there, and she's back there raising her hands, praising the Lord, you know. And it's just, uh, just glorious. And I, I was telling her that churches need young people and older people because it, what the younger people, when you look at someone like her, you say, okay, this is a long haul. I want to follow Jesus all my life, just not for a little while, but I want to follow him all the days of my life until I go one day to be with the Lord. But whatever your background is, whatever you've come out of, uh, whatever kind of job you had, I know Rob was a police officer for a while. I was a firefighter in Atlantic City, New Jersey. I had a bunch of different jobs. And, um, and I think about my testimony when I got saved when I was 20. It wasn't always the way I know the Lord wanted it to be. I didn't always walk worthy, especially when I was young in the Lord. I made a lot of stupid mistakes, right? Uh, God was merciful to me and patient with me, as he has been with all of us. And it's, I think, only as we get older, there's one good thing about getting older in the Lord. You should have more maturity in your life because you've been through more. You know, you don't get gray hair just because you get old. You get gray hair because you got teenagers and you got other issues and you got struggles. You know? uh, but, you know, God wants us to walk in a way that we're overwhelmed and totally amazed at his grace and his power, that we want to walk in a way that's going to give him glory and give him praise so that when people look at your life or look at my life, even though they know we're not perfect, they know there's some, someone in us, there's a power that's being manifest through us that is not of this world. And they don't know how to connect with that. They're, they know there's something special about you. They know you're an idiot many times, but they know that the one that's in you is far from being an idiot. He's amazing, he's supernatural, and they watch the Lord get you through a lot of different stories and adversities and struggles in life. But the way we're to do this uh, walk and the way we're to uh, live for Jesus Christ, he says in verse two, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering. 
Now, it's really important to understand that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So whenever you want God to minister in your life, and you want him to be near to you, and you want to sense his presence, the way you get God's attention is to humble yourself and admit you're weak and admit to him you need his help, you need his direction, you need his strength. You don't argue with him when he points something out to you in your life that needs to change. You don't make excuses, that's pride. You say, you're right, Lord, I don't know how to fix this, I don't know how to change this, but I, I, I give you freedom to do what you need to do in my life to make me more like you. And that is a testimony. That's how our Lord Jesus lived. He was meek and lowly of heart, spirit. He said, learn of me. So you want to learn humility and gentleness. You watch Jesus' life. You look at him. You pattern your life after him. And then he says, you walk with gentleness. That's not being in control. That's not being a dictator. It's being a servant, a gentle servant. And that's the way Jesus is to us. He's a gentle servant. He's a gentle shepherd. Uh, the Lord has every reason in the world to cast me into the deepest regions of hell that I know I deserve. But because of his gentleness, he never wanted to do that. and never had a plan to do that for my life or yours. He had a plan to redeem us and bring us to himself that he might pour out his love and his grace in our lives and make us more like him. And so as we look at this uh, teaching tonight, first of all, I think it's sort of redundant to talk about endeavoring to keep unity in our own lives and with one another in the church if we don't have the peace of God in our lives, right? It's sort of like getting the cart before the horse. Because we have to have peace with God before we can have peace with one another. And lots of times conflicts happen in churches and in marriages and in Christians' lives as well as people who are lost because we don't have peace in our life. Now when you study this section of scripture, it talks about endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. This is a unity that the Holy Spirit has established. We don't make it happen. We don't like put it together. It's already there in the church. And we're supposed to just submit to it and flow with it. But when you think about the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, think about what his attributes are. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, self-control. And what's uh, amazing as I study this with you tonight is that I look at the words that Paul uses in describing what it is we're called to do, this list of being lowly and gentle and long-suffering and bearing with one another in love and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The parallel to what he's saying here is basically the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So I can't be unified with you and you can't be unified with me. I can't be unified with my wife Cindy or my kids or my grandkids or my brothers and sisters at Calvary Chapel, Westmoreland, unless I'm filled and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because my nature is not to be gentle. I don't know about you. My nature is not to be humble. 
My nature is opposite of all that. My nature, apart from the grace of God, is a fallen nature, right? And yours is too. And so whenever you see people get uptight and angry and, and how can they do that? They're a Christian. They're in the church. Well, you can get in the flesh once in a while. You can get out of the control of the Holy Spirit. And so when he's talking about this unity of the Spirit and you look at this list and you say, okay, I'm going to try to do this and I'm going to try to do that and I'm going to try to be patient. I'm going to bear with people that drive me crazy. You can do that for a little while and eventually you're going to say, Inside, I can't stand that person. When I see them come into church, they're sitting there, I'm sitting over here. Any, you know, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands if you ever feel that way, because we're human. We do at times. And God help us when we act that way toward other people. We offend them, and we discourage them, and we cause them to stumble. And then, of course, we stumble ourselves because we're not flowing in this uh, testimony of God's Spirit within the church. Walking worthy has the uh, significance of faithfulness. And that's one of the fruit of the Spirit. And then it's also lowliness, which is meekness and humility and gentleness and long-suffering and bearing with others is self-control. And having a heart for one another is learning to esteem others more highly than you do yourself. Uh, look at Philippians real quick. Right over to the right there. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In some of your Bibles, it might have a title. It says, Unity Through Humility. And that is the key, humility. I remember I was at a retreat years ago, and there was an older saint there, and, and he was a real prayer warrior. And he had the a gifting of the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. And he could almost like read your heart where you were in the Lord. And I said you got a word for me, brother. And he said, yeah. He said, acquire humility for it's the foundation of all the virtues in the Christian life. And he said, if all you do in your ministry is bring people to a place of repentance, you've done a good thing. And those two things he told me were life-changing in my ministry. And when he said about humility, I've been a pastor at that time, I think for like 12 or 13 years, I'm thinking, well, I've read about humility and I think I've taught on it, but the Lord says, yeah, but do you really know what it is? And that was the beginning of my journey to study humility and to learn it and try to model it, and that's a lifelong process, right? But it's an attribute and a characteristic of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so in order for you to have a healthy church and a healthy relationship with one another and a healthy marriage and a healthy relationship with your kids and everybody you're dealing with on the planet Earth, he says, if there's any comfort, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Listen to this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, that's humility, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Wow. That's something that we usually don't do off the bat. We usually want to do what it is we think we want to do. My idea is better. 
I don't know what it was like when Rob started building this out. I, I heard it was sort of him alone in the beginning, and sometimes that's a good thing, because if you get three or four people around you, what do you think? Well, I think the walls should be blue. No, they should be yellow. You know, and Rob's there, well, I really like, like all of, you know, well, I don't like, you know, and all of a sudden people are like uptight, and they get bitter inside. Well, you don't like my opinion. What well, isn't that I don't like your opinion, but that color clashes with that color. Hey, we need a designer in here to get everybody straightened out, right? But, you know, this little things can happen like that. And then someone gets offended. Their heart's hard. And you know when you're around someone, if something isn't going right, if you don't feel comfortable with them, and they don't feel comfortable with you. And that's the beginning of the devil coming into the church and destroying what Christ has established, unity and oneness. Jesus said, by this people will know you're my disciples. One way. Not a bunch of Bible studies. Not a radio station. Not, uh, you know, all kind of a bookstore, coffee bar, whatever we might have in our church. By this people will know you're my disciples. By the love, the agape love you have for one another. And so you look around tonight. Just take a look, everybody. Look, turn around, look who's here tonight. See who's here. Some of you guys probably know each other really well. And some of you probably don't know each other at all. It's funny how you can come into a church, even a smaller group like this, and you can come here for a while and you've never talked to maybe one person here. Or maybe you come in and no one says hi to you and you figure, well, no one's too happy to see me. And I'll just sit here in my little pound until the church service starts and then I'll just sort of slink out whenever it's over. That's not church life. That's not body life. That's not what Christ intended for his church. He wants us to like rub up against each other and to be with each other. And sometimes be with people that are harder to get along with because that shows you where you are with the Lord, right? In humility. You're like, hey, you know, this person drives me crazy. They're an idiot. They think it had got all together. You're thinking this stuff in your head while you're talking. But the Lord's saying, yeah, but I want you to serve them. I want you to love them. Find out what they're into. Be interested in their life. And all of a sudden it disarms them and they don't have the image anymore to uphold. They can be real with you and say, boy, you know, I'm going through some tough stuff right now. And then they, they share their heart maybe. And then you can pray for them and you get connected at a level you can never get connected with if you're just you know, superficial. You're not esteeming others as you should. Now, as I said, before the unity can develop, I don't know you guys real well and you don't know me, <clears throat> but someone's life here tonight is filled with turmoil. Someone here tonight has thoughts that are raging. You might be hearing part of what I'm saying, but your mind is on your trial, your circumstance, your difficulty. Inside, you're crying out to God. You're saying, Lord, I need a breakthrough. I need you to come through for me. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so you hear this guy up here talking about unity, and that's the father's thing from your mind. You're dealing with the thoughts that are raging. Fragmentation, it's called. So we all need to, to do this, and I need to do this as a pastor, especially before I get ready to teach or preach. i got to say to the Lord, Lord, where am I with you right now in my relationship? Am I so, like, driven by what we got to do in the building or a problem on a radio station or some issue with my daughter or my son-in-law or someone in the church whose heart's breaking? Am I, am I just totally, totally obsessed with that, that I, I've lost my peace with you, Lord? And, and if I come up here tonight and I don't have any peace in me I don't have anything to impart to you I just have words if God isn't working in my life as I know he's working in your life there's really nothing to talk about it's just information 
And we don't need information. We need impartation from God, His Spirit, to transform our lives, to take us from this mess that we're in and bring us to a place of peace. And whenever we're in a place of peace and experiencing peace and living in peace, then we want to be peacemakers to other people. Jesus, if you turn to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, verse 27. I'll start with 25. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, how many times is our hearts troubled in a day? Lots of times, right? How many times are we afraid of something? Anxiety of something in the future, a test we got to take, a relationship we have to deal with, a a health report from a doctor. Who knows? It could be a, a host of things. And we allow these things to fragment us and to stir us up. And, the, and they're, they're robbing us of the peace that Jesus has already given to us. And he says that the Holy Spirit's our helper. So instead of saying, Holy Spirit, help me, we're trying to work things out in our own head, figure it out, work it out, straighten it out. And we're not asking for help. We're proud because we think somehow we can get it together. And the Holy Spirit's in us waiting for us to say, I can't handle this. I can't do it. I'm a mess. And I need you to straighten me out, Lord. Give me that peace again that passes human understanding. It tells us over in Philippians, and many of you are familiar with this. I'm sure some of you have memorized it because you've got to go to it a lot, as I know I do. And I use this many times to counsel people uh, about anxiousness and anxiety and the, the difficulties that we have in our lives. And uh, Paul says in chapter 4, Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So tonight, some of you are perhaps anxious here. And you need prayer. And it would be good if you're close with someone here tonight to be honest with someone and go up to them and say, you know, I am really going through something right now. I know you don't have the answer, but I know Jesus does. And would you pray for me or pray with me? And it's so neat to see people break into small groups at the end of a meeting such as this, just to take a couple minutes to hold one another up. It it can make a world of difference for your, your soul. So he says, By everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And this is the promise. If you make your requests known to God, it says the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So we're getting back to this issue of acquiring this inner peace that only can come from the Lord himself. So I find as a pastor, and doing this 21 years, I... I don't, I don't want to just teach the Bible for the sake of teaching the Bible because it's, it's not going to work unless it has application. How do we make this real to my life wherever I am right now, whatever I'm dealing with, and whatever i got to face in the days ahead? And we know in time the church 
in Ephesus and other churches that Paul established had a lot of problems. We know in Corinth what happened. Pride and division. And so in our church, we have uh, the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Um, as I study church history, especially Acts, it says uh, when they came together, uh, they met in the Apostles' Doctrine, breaking of bread and fellowship and prayers. Well, breaking of bread was the Eucharisto uh, from the, uh, the Greek, and it was the celebration of the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. So they did it all the time. When they met in the temple, they did it. When they did it in the homes, they did it. You guys could do it at home tonight, you and the Lord, or you with your spouse or your family. I encourage you to. Jesus says, as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you show forth my death till it comes again. So there's a means of grace in remembering the center of why we gather. And there's more and more Calvaries that are beginning to do that. Um, because I think what's happened in our church is the sermon has become the center of why we gather, and, and the sermon needs to be secondary to the person of Jesus Christ who we're sitting in his presence, right? And so, but the beautiful thing about the supper is that when people take it, it's easier for me to preach because everybody has to deal with their heart. Paul says, let a man examine himself before he takes the supper. If there's anything in my heart toward another brother or sister, I shouldn't take the supper because I'll bring judgment upon myself. It's a purifying work that God has put in the church. So it's funny, you can have a full house of people singing in the word, people taking notes, but there's someone out there, and maybe usually more than one, that is having a fight with their husband or their kid they want to strangle they want to choke right because they're rebelling like crazy or a boss they don't want to work for anymore because he's egomaniac and shows no respect or honor to their lives and they got to show up again on monday to work under that kind of uh, duress so all this anxiousness is there and so it's it's fragmenting the peace and it puts us in a place that we don't have the capacity to work with the unity that the holy spirit's established it's impossible so we, we all have to back up, and that's first of us as pastors to back up for a minute and think about these things. If I got a church where people are upset about something and maybe it has nothing to do with me, maybe it's two women that are at odds with each other that used to be best friends, and now they don't want to be with each other anymore. And they come to the church, and they don't think anybody else knows it, but everybody in the church knows there's a falling out between Susie and Jane or Bill and Harry or whatever and so you're there trying to worship the Lord but it's it's breaking the unity because you're like Lord something isn't right here today the Bible tells us the sin of one person affects all and so the unity is very fragile and it can be broken in a very easy way and so that's why Paul's adamant that we are to endeavor to do everything possible in our strength by the power of God the Holy Spirit to Keep the unity in place. Right? There's nothing more heartbreaking than to be fellowshipping with people you love and you've become family, and you are family, right? You guys are family together. You're community. And then all of a sudden to see a family leave that you were so close to. And usually when people leave a church, they don't leave for good reasons. They usually leave because they're upset about something. 
and it begins to fragment the church and people begin to talk. Well, what happened to them? Well, the pastor said this or the pastor's wife did that or, you know, all kind of crazy stuff. And maybe we are responsible at times for breaking the unity as leaders. That, that happens. And we got to be humble enough to say, hey, I screwed up. Please forgive me for my blindness. You were right and I was wrong. And when we can do that as leaders and servants and brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit works in the midst of that kind of honesty because that's not common in the world. Everybody's usually like, I'm right, you're wrong, and I hate you forever, right? I never want to see you again. And when you come like Jesus would to these people and come to them in gentleness and humility, then the Lord can repair the breach. He can establish uh, relationships. Uh, when we planted the church uh, all these years ago, we wanted it to be a place of restoration and reconciliation for ruined lives, which we had, Cindy and I. A miracle. We've been married 46 years now. I can't believe it. It seems like yesterday I proposed to her in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and we, she got saved in the church, and we got on that Ferris wheel, and every time we got to the top, we yelled out, Praise the Lord! As loud as we could. I had hair down to here, and people were looking, they got to be on drugs up there. What's that one about? <laughs> And a precious lady like Betty with a cane came up and she had a one-way t-shirt. And she mentored Cindy and I in our young marriage and loved us and prayed for us and encouraged us. Her name was Sophie Van Nuys. And her husband was with the Lord and she couldn't wait to, she got to be with him and we were up there so we could meet her wonderful husband one day. Just awesome, the impact that people can make. And when we had struggles in our marriage as young couple, uh, we, we would go up for treats after Sunday night service, and she knew we were mad at each other. And she didn't try to put it together. She just was patient with us and loving and gentle and just pouring out love, doing all she could to bring that unity back together. And God does that whenever you're a person of peace, when you're thinking about others more than you're thinking about yourself. So as we begin to wind down here, this is something to pray about. I, you guys have prayer meetings here. Pray for unity. If you sense a division and you're responsible for it, don't spread it around. Go to the person you offended yourself, as the Bible says, and ask for forgiveness so that you can patch things up in the Lord. If it gets really, really complicated, then you get some counsel from your pastor and pray with him. Not backbiting, but pray. Because usually when two people are at odds, both people are wrong. One person might be a little bit more right than the other, but both people are wrong because then they get this, this attitude, you know. And you want to pray for peace in the church because... Uh, Rob told me that God is really beginning to move here and people are beginning to recognize that you are a force in the community. And there'll be more and more people showing up and as more and more people come, the devil does not want this place to be filled up. And he will begin to do what only he can do and he will begin to create ridiculous conflicts that have nothing to do with anything. And you gotta pray more than ever that you keep your heads down 
and you pray for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace so that when people come into the church, you want them to say, I like that church because when I go there, I feel God's peace. I sense his presence. It's a safe place. I can go there and I don't have to have watch my back. I, people love me. They're not judging me. Uh, they're there for me. That's what you want. And if you got someone in a church who's divisive and who's contentious, that, that has to be dealt with. That has to be uh, spoken to in love and, and try to find out what the problem is and, and get it rooted out. And sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes people have to leave for a while uh, until they realize what they really had. And then you make it easy for them to come back. Because sometimes people get twisted by the devil. You pray for, for peace. But more importantly, look at your own life and say, and this is what we do when I try to encourage people when we take the supper every week. What needs addressed in my own heart right now? What issues, God, do you want to speak to me about in my relationship toward you and perhaps other people? And when God shows you what it is, you want to repent of it. In other words, repentance is a change of direction. So instead of going this way and getting more uptight and hard and bitter and all that, the Spirit of God will stop you because he lives in you. He'll talk to you about it, listen to him, and then turn the way towards humility and reconciliation and start going in the way that he wants you to walk worthy, walk worthy of the calling, and his peace will be poured out upon you again. Because if you don't repeat, repent, you're not going to have the peace of God in your life. Your thoughts need to be led of God. And I, I was thinking as I, I came down here today, uh, my thoughts are on a lot of different things, uh, as I know yours are too throughout the day. But I'm trying to bring my thoughts into captivity more so that, you know, my thoughts aren't bad necessarily or, or, or weird or strange. They're just like stupid thoughts sometimes. They're a waste of time thoughts. I want my mind to be on the Lord more. I want to be praising him and thinking about him. I listened to your station about 20 miles uh, in from Bedford there. I was able to pick up the signal, and it was a real blessing listening to it, listening to the praise music. You want your thoughts to be led of God. And as they're led of God, they'll bring you peace, and they'll make the unity of Calvary Chapel Cumberland stronger and stronger and stronger so that it can't be ripped apart. Our vision verse is Ephesians 4.16. When every part does its share, it makes increase of the body unto the edifying itself together in love. Every one of you here are critical to what it is that God wants to do. Can God do it without you? Yeah, but he wants to do it with you. He's chosen to bring you into this body to give you the privilege and the opportunity to serve him in whatever gifting and capacity uh, he's called you to. In the morning, I'm not a morning person. I'm usually an evening person. Like I get up in the morning, where's the coffee? And you know, I'm just like, you know, it takes a while to, to get like focused, you know. But I'm, I'm trying to discipline myself more to just sit before the Lord for a while. And I don't have this like massive devotion I put myself through, but I, I get the scripture and wherever I'm at, <clears throat> I sit there with the verse or two, whatever it is, and I just look at it and I think about it. And I just try to be still before God for a little while. Let him talk to me about it. Let him minister to me. Let him strengthen me so he can get me focused on the day so I'm going to listen to him. And I'm looking at the text, right? Not this text. 
I'm looking, I look at this way too much in the day. Looking at the Bible text and to see what it is that God wants to speak to me about first thing in the morning. And I let the Lord know, I want to have peace today in my life. I'm going to face all kinds of things that are going to try to take my peace away. Lord, you need to protect me and minister to me because you're the Prince of Peace. And I want my prayer time to be more on loving God as opposed to God, I need you to do this, please do that, take care of this problem, help that person. That's all important too, and he already knows that stuff. But it's important that my heart ministers to God from my own heart, how much I want to learn to love him more. Because the more I love him, the more I want to follow him, right? If I just know about him, that's nice, but I'm not going to really obey him. But when you love someone, there's a whole different relationship, isn't there? A sincere and a contrite heart. To walk in union with Christ. Because Jesus had peace in every situation of life. Jesus was never flipping out. I mean, even when he turned the money table changers over and he was angry, he was totally under control. I couldn't do that. I'd be like, you idiots, give me that whip, you know, why are you doing that, you know? And I'd be putting a hurting on someone probably. But, but he did it in a way that he was totally under control and got things done. He knows how to live life in a way that we don't. And that's why we need him to live his life in us and through us. Anything that blocks your mind from staying on Christ is an issue. And as you have a problem with someone in your life and you don't deal with it biblically, that person's going to be in your head all the time. Anybody have that problem? They're in your head. They're taking over real estate space that God's supposed to have, driving you crazy. And sometimes you have to forgive someone a hundred times a day because it's an act of the will, not an emotion. You don't wait till you feel like forgiving. You're commanded to forgive. Forgive us our trespasses, right, Lord? As we forgive others their trespasses, right? And Jesus says later, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you of yours. That's sort of scary. Forgiveness is huge. And we're all called to forgive. So one of my favorite verses is Isaiah 26, 3. It says, Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusts in thee. He'll keep you in perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed upon him, because you trust in him. So I, I trust tonight that it was an encouragement to you. I finished two minutes ahead of time. I was a good boy, so you can tell Rob I wasn't a <laughs> big mouth on and on and on. Nothing worse going to church than the guy's done 10 minutes ago, but he keeps going on. You ever, you know, that's the way I was in my early years. I figured I got to teach the whole Bible every Sunday. Now I know I just got to teach a couple verses, right? So let me uh, say a prayer. I'll be hanging around for a couple minutes. If anybody wants prayer, I'll pray pray with you and I know others will be here the pastor's wife and others that are in leadership that like uh, will help and minister prayer but uh, really uh, ask the Lord to make this real and guard your church with unity in the days ahead Father we're thankful Lord for the teaching of your word by your Holy Spirit through your apostle and Lord I, I feel real at home here with these folks because they have the same hunger for you that the people I serve back in Greensburg do. 
And Lord, we all have struggles in our lives. We have things, conflicts, difficulties, relationships, and it's always going to be that way until we leave this world. But Lord, you have given us the key uh, to be successful in regard to interpersonal relationships. And you have commanded us, Lord, that it is our responsibility to endeavor to keep what it is you've already established in place so that the church can grow and multiply, that people can be blessed, and that people can grow in the grace and the knowledge of you. I pray, Lord, you would put a hedge of protection around this church and these people and protect them from the evil one, Lord, who is uh, getting angry because of the movement of your spirit and power in, the, in this local church here, the airways, everything that's happening in the city, and it will happen. The plans, Lord, to expand services and other things I know they're all praying about, Lord. How do we fit people in here? What do we do? What do Lord, I know that you got a big plan here for this congregation and this church and this community. Even looking at the streets and the houses up and down the road here and thinking about how many people live there and know nothing about what it is we're saying tonight. And we pray, O oh God, that this place would be like a magnet to people who are in fragmentation, who are in relationship conflicts, that they would come here for help and find a place where this is real and that people love each other and they're patient with each other and they're humble and they esteem others more important than they do themselves. Lord, just bless them. Bless Pastor Rob as he's away. Refresh him. Encourage him. Bring him back, Lord, with fresh insight, fresh manna to share with the flock that you've entrusted him with. Bless him and his wife and their children and their family as they minister with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind and all their strength, first to you and to these precious people that love you so much. Lord, we look forward to the days ahead to hear far and wide the great things that only you can do. And we give you praise and we give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.